All right, so once again, thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Pastor Ryan. This morning, we're going to be studying the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Jonah chapter 2. If you use your phone, or your iPad, or your tablet, that is okay too. So Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to start off at verse 1. This is one of those chapters when you read the first verse, you're like, oh my goodness, something big is going on here, right? So Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now, if you're not that familiar with the story, the story of Jonah, what led up to this event, what kind of what sounds crazy, uh, God had called Jonah to go preach to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was a very wealthy Assyrian city. Uh, it's located in what's now modern day Iraq. And what's significant about this call is he was being sent to that city to go preach about God and also to specifically to call them out of their sinful ways. The way they live, the gods they worship, everything, just to call them out of a sinful lifestyle. And that was a big, tall order to do, right? Jonah knew the people of Nineveh might not take that message that well, right? To be told by a foreigner they're doing everything wrong, they need to change. He knew there was a chance he could be persecuted, maybe lose his life. He didn't really know. So naturally, what Jonah does is he decides to run. Literally, he decides to run. Story goes, he hopped on a boat, bought passage. So for instance, if God said, hey, Nineveh's that way, I want you to go there, he got on a boat and went that way. He did. He got on the boat, and as they're out on the boat, the storm comes up, and everyone gets scared. And Jonah admits to the sailors, hey, this is my fault. I'm running from God. To save yourselves, you need to throw me into the water. And that's exactly what they did. They chucked him into the water, in which case a fish, big fish comes up and swallows him whole. And then chapter 1, that's chapter 1, finishes with this statement that Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And that is a long time. Right? And now in chapter 2 is when he begins to reach out to God. He begins to pray. So if we take the timeline literally here, it took Jonah three days and three nights before he begins to reach out to God. Again, that is an extremely long time if you consider the situations. Right? So as we go for, further in the story to really understand what's happening and why the story is in the Bible, we need to understand the difference between believing in God, saying, yes, there's a God, and then actually following him, right? Because there is a big difference. The difference is huge. First off, to believe in God does not mean that you follow God. Here's an important distinction. Uh, the devil believes in God, knows God is real. The devil believes in Jesus, knows who Jesus is, does not follow him in one way, does he? Works against him, all right? Um, and the reason is that's very important to make that distinction. We should have God first in our lives. We should understand what he wants from us, and then we make the choice to follow him, right? And that's very important. And the reason we bring this up, the reason it came up at all, is because Jonah believed in God. He actually did. He totally did. And here's what's interesting about the story. He knew who God was. He knew God was calling him to Nineveh. Totally understood. He got the email, the text message. He understood it was from God very clearly. He had caller ID, no questions. And he knew God was sending him to Nineveh. But what did he decide to do? Run. He tried to run from God, right? And that's exactly what he did. Of course, it didn't work. But that was his choice. So he had belief, but it did not translate into following in any way, right? Uh, and we need to understand this for ourselves as well as we go, because it's going to be important. So this brings us to our uh, point for today that we are actually called to follow God. 
not just belief. Belief is the first step. That is good. But it then needs to turn into following. That's what it comes down to. If you claim to have faith, but it involves no action, you change absolutely nothing, you are not on the right track. right? Because if God calls us to do something, and we choose to ignore him or go the other way, something has gone horribly wrong. Right? And let's be honest, Jesus experienced this as well. If you really read closely the stories, um, if you take, back, take a step back and look at everything he said, what's really interesting is don't look at just what he said, that's important, but look how people responded to what he said. That's going to give you a huge picture of what's going on. You're going to see when people, when Jesus taught, there were people who totally heard what he said, said, I believe that's awesome, and they chose to follow him. Right? There's also people that heard that and said, yeah, that sounds great. I'm kind of busy today. We'll see what tomorrow looks like. And there are other people that heard him and said, yeah, nothing for me. Nothing. Right? You get this whole continuum. Right? Some people claimed to believe and did nothing. Right? And this is important because if you really get down to Jesus' teachings, what he says is very clear and it requires action. You either do what he says, what he teaches, or you do not. Right? And Jesus' teachings in particular are radical. They're not general. They're not vague. They call you out to do something vastly, vastly different. They were bold, and they make a clear distinction between right and wrong. All right? So let's look at uh, Luke chapter 6, because this is a really, really good example of everything I'm talking about. It kind of summarizes this. And remember, this is Jesus talking. So it's Luke chapter 6, 27 to 31. It's big stuff. Jesus says, but to you who are listening... He's already being very specific. You know what I mean? If you're actually listening to me, this is what I say. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, what are you supposed to do? If someone takes your coat, you didn't give it to them. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks of you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, do you guys kind of get how heavy duty that is, what he just said? Right? And that's, that's out there, right? But in a good way. And let's be honest. The vast majority of people who read this, including Christians, they read it and they go, oh, that's beautiful. That's great. No, did you get what he said? That's tough. That is hard. Let's be honest. It is beautiful in a way, but it is extremely difficult, right? And if you didn't know this, I'm going to put you to the test this morning. You know, welcome to church, right? So to be honest, let's be honest. You're sitting in church, so when you answer these questions, please be honest with it, okay? This first statement from Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Love our enemies. That does not mean tolerate from a distance. Very different, right? This means love, love the way Jesus loves. This is the same type of love that he talked about in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Great parable. Very, very much not taught in depth the way it should be. And what that happened is when the, the Samaritan actually saw this injured man on the side of the road, he put his life on hold, picked up this person who was actually one of his enemies, and took him to a place and then, and then paid for everything so he could be taken care of, to be healed, to be fixed, right? And Jews and Samaritans back then were not friends. They had this awful habit of burning down each other's places of worship. Kind of heavy duty, right? That's what happened. They harassed each other in public and out on the roads. So imagine if this ha something similar happened today. Let's say, let's say we had a 
Some Muslim extremists move to town and they come and they burn this church to the ground. Burn it. There's nothing left. Then on the road, you're walking down the road, you're in Publix, they see you and they start to harass you and your family, your children, your grandchildren. Then the next day, you're walking down the road and you see someone injured. He's clearly been beat up, hit by a car. It's that dude. How many people, how many Christians, and I want you to be honest, would stop everything, pick that person up, take them to Sebastian River Medical Center so they can be cared for, and then go to the billing department and say, I want you to send the bill to me. They're not on my insurance, but I want you to send the bill to me. And think before you answer, how many Christians would do this? How many times would that happen? Very rarely, I think, if we're being honest. If it would happen at all. Right? That's the truth of it. So when Jesus says to love our enemies, what does he want us to do? Love them the way he would love them. And that is radical. That is not easy. And it is okay to say that is not easy to do. The disciples said that when Jesus... And this is one of my more favorite verses, uh, stories. When Jesus t- teaching the disciple about forgiveness, he said, how many times do you have to forgive? Remember what he said? Seven, seven, just keep throwing the sevens in there, basically. Keep it going. And the disciples said, I can't do that. I don't have faith for that. They actually said, help us increase our faith. I can't do that. So it's okay to say, I don't know how to do that. Jesus, help me. That's a reasonable answer, Right? But Jesus isn't done. Let's again, let's look deep at uh, Luke chapter 6 because this really matters when we're going to continue with uh, Jonah. In chapter 6, he says, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. So according to Jesus, in our next slide, if people do this to you, they hate you, they curse you, they mistreat you, they slap you, physically hit you, and steal stuff from you, this is what you do. Next, you do good to them. You bless them. You pray for them. Don't pray for them to, like those angry prayers. Get them, God. Yeah, you're laughing because you know that you turn the other cheek so they can hit you on the other cheek. You give them something that they haven't yet stolen from you. How many Christians, is Christianity known worldwide for doing this? No. If we're honest, this is another difficult question. If we ask a group of atheists, non-believers, do Christians do this? Are Christians known for following Jesus? What would they say? No. Do we have work to do as Christians? Clearly we do. All right. And like Jonah, this is what we're going to get into, we pick and choose sometimes what parts of Jesus' teachings we want to follow. We do that. It happens. And Jesus isn't done, though. After he says all this publicly, and you can imagine the room would have got really quiet. And he was really popular for a while, and then every once in a while people were like, oh my gosh, he just keeps, you know. This is what he says in Luke chapter 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? That wasn't directed at atheists, people who don't believe, people who had never heard of him. Who's he directing that at? at? People who call him Lord. People who claim to believe. Can you imagine how quiet that room would have got? And do you see, do you understand why the religious leaders went after him? He was calling them out. He was calling them phony. And it was obvious. He did not mess around. He didn't leave room for people who claimed to be Christian and don't follow him. 
He called them out. He was calling out pastors in name only. There are pastors, you go on YouTube, whatever you see, they, people that claim to be pastors, they do not preach, they teach some weird stuff. It is not what Jesus taught. It happens. We get too comfortable with this as a nation. This is very, very much related to what's happening with Jonah. God called him, totally called him. He understood the call, and what did he do? And with nothing to it, and he ran. He chose to run away. And because God had such a big plan for him, he wasn't going to let him continually run. God knew he could do better. He would turn back, and he knew Jonah would be successful. So he sent the fish. Now, you should be asking, why on earth did it take Jonah three days and three nights to be in that fish before he started to reach out to God? Because that is a long time. That is a long time. Why on earth would it take three days? People can be exceptionally stubborn. They can be exceptionally hard-headed, especially when they have to admit they are 100% wrong. And I've learned this as a, as a pastor. It's easy to go, well, I made a mistake. I messed up. The easy stuff. It's very difficult to go, everything I did, everything I've been doing is wrong. And it's 100% me, and I can't blame anybody else. It's 100% me. That is a difficult thing to do. But what God is doing is using this time in the fish, as much time as it's going to take him, to turn him around. You want three days? It's all on you. You call out when you're ready. And so finally he's going to do that. God had plans for Jonah. He had plans for Nineveh. And and this is what Jesus is, is going to tell us now about strong foundations because this is what God is doing to Jonah. He wants to build him on a strong foundation. And what Jesus said, boy, it applies to us. Really applies back then too. Luke chapter 6, verse 47 to 49. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice... A lot of stuff we've been talking about is like a man who built a house on on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Jonah had been following God in name only, correct? He was. Up to that point, had Jonah built his faith on a firm foundation? No, not at all. But because God had such big plans for him, he wasn't going to let him run and hide. He knew he was capable of more. But Let's kind of think of this in another way. What would Christianity look like today if the disciples had pulled a Jonah? Like when Jesus got arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's getting cuffed, all that kind of stuff. What, and the disciples ran. If you read the story, they did not hang out. What if they kept running and kept running and kept running? Would we even have a church today? Probably not. Nor should we, Right? And this is part of Jonah's problem. He's not properly grounded in faith yet. There's no foundation. But we're going to see that's about to change. And this is why the story's in the Bible. So let's continue with Jonah chapter 2 and let's read verse 2. He says, In my distress I called to the Lord. I called and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. So this, kind of, this event, what's happening here, highlights how God will work sometimes. 
Because if you can kind of tell, Jonah, Jonah isn't doing well on that fish. And how could he, right? What's going on here, he's hitting rock bottom. He's hit it. God had called to Jonah. He gave him a real purpose. Wanted to make sure he was successful. And to help him have a firm foundation, God's letting him hit rock bottom. That's what's happening in the fish. It's cold, it's dark. Let's be honest, it couldn't smell good in there, right? It's Jonah's own words. You read it. He's describing how he's completely separate from God. He's completely separate. And it's here in this place, he's hitting rock bottom. Here he realizes he needs to change. So what does he do? He calls out to God. He just calls out. And he does this because he knows God will hear him. He can trust God. He knows God is never too far gone. And here's what's so beautiful about God. There's no special prayer. There's no special thing to say, no set of words. He doesn't have to say amen at the end for God to hear him. He just simply calls out. And think of, a great example of this is also, think of the criminal who died on the cross next to Jesus, right? All he said was, remember me, think of me. Don't forget me. Just, he didn't know what to say, and that's what he said. But it was from his heart. Again, didn't say a fancy prayer. He certainly didn't say amen afterwards. Amen. He didn't do one of these little beauties, did he? He just called out. And because now he's calling out, Jonah says, you listen to my cry. He knows God has heard him. He knew it. He knew God would answer. And let's, so let's continue verse 3. He's going to continue and tell us more what he's feeling. He says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath borrowed, excuse me, barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Now, that's some heavy-duty stuff. If you really take time, and just kind of imagine what he's feeling. Imagine what he's going through. But this is also an accurate description. First off, you've got to notice Jonah is not blaming anyone else, is he? He's certainly not blaming those darn sailors that threw him overboard. It was their fault, right? He's not doing that. It was his own actions. And he knows this. God is using the fish to reach him. Right? And this fish, let's be honest, is really just a vessel uh, for the true punishment, which is being exiled from God. He said he was banished. Right? He's banished from his presence. That's the real consequence. And God's probably saying, listen, you want to know what it's like to run from me, to have nothing to do with me? This is what it feels like. This is what it really, really feels like. He said he was hurled into the depths of the sea. He felt like the earth barred him in forever. And his language is demonstrating that the real punishment here is separation from God. He, he knew what that was like. And what's interesting here is because it, if you think about it, it clearly suggests there's a difference. Like when he was running from God on the earth on that ship, he didn't feel banished yet, did he? He hadn't experienced that yet. So being on this earth, seeing God's creation, the sun on your face, breathing the air, you can experience God. You, can, you know he's there. Right? And that was true for Jonah. And if again, if you read this closely, though once he's in the fish, God says, you want to know what it's like? Now this is what it's like. This is, this is what it feels like. You want to feel alone? This is it. This is what it's like to be separate from me. And there's a correlation here because Jesus went through this as well, but in a much bigger way. 
When Jesus was on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 46, it says, About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus, he, that, that time period, he'd been uh, betrayed by Judas. He'd been beaten and whipped by the Roman soldiers. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was nailed to a wooden cross and left to die. But that didn't make him cry out yet, did he? What made him cry out? When he took on all of our sin and God left him there to die. Alone. Completely alone. That's what caused him to break. That's what caused him to cry out. To truly feel alone and separate from God is too much. So that's why Jesus cried out and said, why did you abandon me? Why did you desert me? So with Jonah, he had a small portion of that, but God gave him what he wanted. This is what it's going to feel like. But now this is also where the story turns and starts to become good. While Jonah is in this fish, he finally feels that separation. It's way too much. He calls out. God allows him to feel, to hear that he heard his prayer. So imagine being in that fish, separate, alone, and you cry out, and deep in your heart, you feel from God that he has heard your prayer. You know you're not alone. Deep down, the creator of the universe has heard you. He's been waiting for you to call out to come back to him, and he can feel that. And we know this because in verse 6, he says, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. And what this means, he's already starting to praise God. He's already starting to give uh, praise and credit to God, even though God hasn't done anything yet other than let him know he's heard him. But that's enough. He knows God will raise him up. He will remove that separation and that banishment. And this is the guy, remember, a few days ago was trying to run from God, trying to hide. Is this that's going to work? But now he is praising God. This is the beginning of true faith, truly relying on God. This is what God wanted all along. Now, believe it or not, even with this change of heart, he's not done. He has more he wants to say. It's in verse 8. And I'm going to remind you of this because I keep saying this. He's still in the fish. All right? That hasn't changed. And this is what he's going to say next in verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That is a profoundly deep statement for someone still hanging out inside of fish. It is. And what Jonah's saying in verse 8 is that running from God literally or figuratively, like we were talking about with Jesus' teachings, where we hear his stuff and decide not to follow, doing that is a form of idolatry. When we do things like that, and this is a heavy thought, is what we're doing is we're, we're hearing God, we hear him, we heard Jesus, but then we still decide this is what I want, this is what I think, I don't want to do that, I'm going to do what I want, and that's an idol. The reason God gave us Exodus 20, which is when he said, you shall have no other gods before me, is, yes, to prevent us from actually bowing down to other gods. That's a big one. All right? And he gave that. But there's another reason is when we get scared, lost, just don't want to do stuff, we turn away and find another God. It happens. So there's two reasons. Number one, when he gave us his commandment, he wants us to stay close to him and to trust him and follow him because he wants what's best for us. And number two, the second reason he gave us his, his command is because there are simply no other gods. There just aren't any. So to give us this impression that maybe there are and it's okay, it's not true. All right, so a good way to think of this, this is how my mind works, is think of God as a compass. He's the way that we find our true north and our direction. 
If God is the only compass, there are no other compasses. So if, for him to let us believe that there may be other things you can try to use as a compass, like a golf ball or whatever, it's just not going to work. It doesn't work. He is the only one. And any other thing we try to use in this place will simply fail. And Jonah is thinking of this. He's saying this while he's in the belly of the fish. Again, that is deep and that is profound. But he's got more he wants to say in verse 9. He says, But I, with shouts of grateful, grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good, and I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So Jonah finally comes to the realization that he needs to turn back to the God completely, 100%. He knows that God is a source of life and salvation. He said, the vows I have made, I'm going to keep. The sacrifices I need to do, I am going to do. But most of all, what it shows is that Jonah has put God in the center of his life again. God is his God, and he is going to follow God. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can all see a bit of ourselves in Jonah to a degree. Maybe we didn't run away from God and get swallowed by a fish, right? Nobody? No? Me neither. <laughs> However, we're all guilty to some degree of looking at the Bible, looking at Jesus' teachings, and going, yeah, that one's not too bad. I don't want that one. Not today. I mean, when I grew up, I had brothers, I had cousins, and we fought like the dickens sometimes. And I tell you, if you get slugged in the face, it is very hard to turn your cheek and give your brother the other side. It's extremely hard. And that was as a child, let alone as a grown adult. All right? So I am guilty of that too, of going, yeah, not that one so much, not today. It happens. We can relate to that. Who could admit to not being as forgiving as they could be? You don't have to raise your hand. You can just nod. How about holding on to our anger when we should let it go sometimes? Here's an Here's one that happens a lot. How about you driving on the road and somebody cuts you off? Even accidentally. Yeah, right? I'd even say the rest, and I already got people going, yeah. <laughs> do we turn the other cheek, or do we like to gun it and kind of crowd their space a little bit and get them back somehow? We do that, if we're being honest. Is that what we should do, though? No. And here's the question. You ready? This is also part of the test. Now that we've talked about it, and you admitted to it like I have. You later going to go, yeah, I just don't want to follow that. I heard all that. I choose not to. I'm going to pull a Jonah and do whatever I want. Or are we going to try to do better? We should try to do better. Amen? We are not called to be like everyone else, like every other religion. We should look different. We should act different. People should see us behaving in difficult times and learn about Jesus Christ. Because if not, then there is no point in Christianity. How we should respond should single us out. And that's, that's actually why the story of Jonah is it's really powerful. The start, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember the story about the fish and Noah and the ark. But the stuff behind that is heavy duty. It really is. That's why the story is so powerful. We actually get to see this entire continuum of bad behavior, stuff kind of in the middle, and then when he totally turns it around. But yet we can, for honest, we can relate with, boy, all of it, 100%. And now here's what's cool. Jonah has a complete change of heart. And this is now when his situation changes. It's in uh, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited or spit him out onto dry land. This is obviously very good for Jonah, but what's probably most important here is, again, his change of heart. Where is his faith? Who is he trusting in now? 
Here's an interesting little side note. Who actually obeyed God, the fish or Jonah? First time around. The fish. Good trivia question. But now he is, and that's what matters most, right? And if we trace our steps, you can, again, you can see this evolution happening. First, Jonah admitted he was wrong. He didn't blame the sailors. He said it was all himself. And then he said, I believe. I'm going to do this. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to look to God. And he's saying this while he's still in the fish. He doesn't even know he's going to get out of the fish yet. But he's turned around. God might make him stay there. But he doesn't care. God is his God. He wants to make things right. And this is when he spit out onto dry land. But now this is when the real work starts to begin. This is why God called him in the first place. To go to Nineveh. To carry that message. And that's, this is where it starts to come to us. This is why it matters. This is why, this is why these stories in the Bible, they aren't just stories to read. They reflect us. And this is why Jesus said what he said. This is why he was so blunt. This is why he was so out there. He calls each one of us. He does. He calls us to admit our sin, to see our wrongful ways, to turn to him, and then to follow him. Because remember, when Jesus called his first disciples... He didn't say, hey, dudes, believe in me. What did he say? Come and follow me. Follow me. Because I'm going to make you fishers. That's what it was from the very beginning. They were going to take his message to the world. But like with Jonah, when we look at ourselves, it first starts we have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to admit of what we do wrong. We have to admit that we can't do life on our own. Because we can't. In order to do what Jesus says, we need him. We need his help. God created us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And today, the reason you guys are all here is God called you here for a reason. He wants you to know this. He wants you to repent. He wants you to have a relationship with him. So what we want to do this morning is we want to give everybody a chance to invite Jesus into their heart if they haven't done that. That matters. That's what starts first. We also want you to grow in your faith. We want you to be used by God. We want you to hear his call and whatever that is, to do it. So if you wouldn't mind, let's pray. I invite you to pray with me. Say the words with me. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead. And today I ask Jesus to come into my life to make me new. I ask him to forgive me for what I've done wrong. I ask him to save me. And then I ask him to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today we also pray. We pray for strength to endure all trials. May everything we go through, good and bad, may it strengthen our faith and may our actions be a reflection of who you are. May we not take the pieces of what Jesus taught that we want and let go of the other stuff. May we follow them all. Father, today we also choose to commit to you. There are many times in life we get pulled away, we fall out of sync with you, but today we make the choice to commit to you. It's our choice, and we choose you. Father, we also pray for all people to come to know you and to place their trust in you, because it's only through you and the saving grace of your Son that we have hope that we're saved and that we're made righteous. And Father, today we pray, we pray individually and as a church, that as our faith grows, that you will use each one of us. Use us to expand your kingdom. 
Give us opportunities to use the unique talents that you've given each one of us. Each one of us is capable of moving mountains through you. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us, for all the blessings. We thank you for the church. Most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen.